Hi, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 16th of October 2019 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. While the air, at least, has been cleared this week by the welcome arrival of some heavy rains and autumnal breezes, we love our brief autumn in this city, and as we're putting on our hiking gear in anticipation of cooler weather this week, we'll be listening to a story from Jenny, who will tell us about some much cooler weather she encountered elsewhere. After Jenny's story, we'll hear a piece of fairly chilling fiction written by Daniel Bird and performed by Fazer McPhee at the 2019 Hong Kong Spoken Word Festival in a show by Liars League Hong Kong. Before we get to today's stories, though, we'd like to extend a huge thank you to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. We know you're occupied by many important things just now and really appreciate you listening to our stories. Big hellos go out to our listeners around the globe as well. This week, especially to listeners in Lebanon, New Hampshire in the United States, Nice in France, and Casablanca in Morocco. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. October sure is a busy month for us storytellers. We have our regular show coming up next Wednesday, the 23rd, which will have the theme unearthed and be hosted by Mel. We also have the Student Story Slam on Friday, the 25th of October, where students 11 to 18 are invited to write and perform their stories on stage. We've heard the first version of the stories, and we cannot wait to hear them live. If you'd like to find out more about either of these events or of any of the other cool stuff we do, go to hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. And now with the story from the April show with the theme Transition, here is Jenny. I am a tropical girl. I grew up in Singapore, a country just one degree away from the equator. I attended a really conservative all-girls high school where our school uniform has to be as loose as a sack and uh, the length of our skirts has to be longer than our kneecaps. Something like this. (laughs) Part of our school motto was to be prudent and uh, dignified, like a lady. Even when the Singapore weather is freaking hot at 35 degrees Celsius. Walao eh. That's a Singlish, by the way. Uh, one day I grew up and I went to Finland. <laughs> I know this is the complete opposite. I mean, the weather goes down to minus 35 degrees Celsius. Especially in northern Finland, that's above the Arctic Circle. Oh gosh. I had a tough time adjusting to this extremity in the temperatures. I mean, it's like my pores were allergic to this freezing cold, man. At that time, I neglect to say, I had been dating a Finnish boyfriend for about a year. Uh, He invited me to this uh, strange party that I was uh, obligated to go. (laughs) Uh, It was held in Helsinki during Vapu. Uh, And Vapu is this boisterous festival taking place in the first week of May every year. Uh, At that time, there were many such strange parties, uh, mostly including a lot of people who don't know each other, like you guys, all huddled together in an enclosed space, sweating a lot. (laughs) 
not the gym. It was a sauna party invitation. Aha. But not only was it the all of mixed gender type, <laughs> the university that was organizing it was trying to break the Guinness World Record for the largest sauna in the world. <laughs> uh, um, they did it. They basically built from scratch a makeshift up, uh, outdoor upsized wooden box that was twice as big as the current record holder in Germany at that time. Do you know what this means? It means it could hold twice as many naked people, both male and female. I was so not used to it. Um, being a very naive Singaporean girl, I was thinking to myself, okay, should I wear my bikini or should I do something to be hygienic? <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out, no need lah. <laughs> you just have to sit still in the steam and uh, pretend to be meditating and <laughs> staring awkwardly at each other's private parts. Um, actually, only I thought it was awkward. Because you see, the only porn that I watch, I'm so sorry, there's a child in the front row. <laughs> <laughs> that I've ever watched, uh, just close your ears. Um, <laughs> the only pornography that I've ever watched was uh, Japanese. Please don't Google tonight. <laughs> and um, the men's things are, you know, uh, pixelated. Yeah. But then in Finland, oh, the men's uh, organ uh, is not just used for intercourse or peeing. It's totally natural to have all of them hanging out in full view. <laughs> I felt uh, voyeuristic. I was like, I don't know where to place my eyes in the sauna. I want to look, but I don't dare to look. Should I, where should I look? <laughs> yeah. Um, there were so many, you know, bare-skinned, undressed boys letting it swing loose that to me, I had this feeling. It was like opening the Pandora's box of penises. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Lifetime experience. <laughs> yeah, never before. Uh, I realized something. Um, the Finns, they don't have the same shame of nudity as Asians do, right? To them, being nude is just being as close as possible to nature, being blessed by Mother Earth and being grounded through your body. Mm. Um, <laughs> now, this sauna party uh, was not restricted to current students. You can have alumni of the university, you can have professors, <laughs> you can have even the president of Finland, if he wanted to, seriously. Uh, all stark naked in the same hot box. Uh, not doing the fist bump, but the buttock bump. <laughs> yeah, you could talk your way to a better grade with your professor. You can talk profound topics like uh, politics and philosophy with president while having sweat drip, drip, drip in between your crouches. <laughs> Very good, but unthinkable in Singapore. <laughs> I'm sure they found me awkward, weird, poor girl, because I was trying to like cover myself while pretending I'm doing a neck rub. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was trying to act 
like, oh, chased and proper. And I was trying to not to compare myself with all the gorgeous Finnish girls in the same sauna. A lot of pink nipples and uh, gold bushes. Mm. Uh, but, but, but back to the unclothed boys. I'm more interested in them, right? <laughs> I couldn't help but notice them. I mean, they were really in full Monty glory right in front of me. <laughs> it was not a, the, the computer. <laughs> um, and they were really in full Monty glory in front of me in all shapes uh, and ages and uh, sizes. Ah, I was a little bit astonished uh, because in my mind, Finnish men are the post-Vikings, right? So they appear quite hunky, stallions. Like, yet uh, surprisingly, some of them have, uh, how should I put it? Uh, pencil dicks. <laughs> only, only some of them, only some of them. Um, there's no Finnish man in this Hong Kong crowd, or hopefully nobody in the podcast. <laughs> yeah, only some of them can be it. Uh, yes. So in the end, <laughs> how did I survive all these different levels of culture shocks? <laughs> I summon my inner sisu. And what I mean by that is if you ask any Finn, what does it mean to be truly Finnish? The word sisu always comes up. Even though they can't accurately translate this word, it's a compound word in English. So Sisu is like a sense of tapping into your vulnerability, a uh, mix of inner strength for really difficult times. It's like endurance, resilience, determination, all rolled into one. Did you know the Finns have this World Sauna Championships? <laughs> it's like, why? <laughs> the temperature goes as high as 110 degrees Celsius. I'm not kidding, somebody died in 2010. That's higher than the boiling point of water. They have to sit inside there evaporating. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, Singaporeans can't take that kind of stuff. Most of us are pretty useless. I mean, when Singaporean tourists travel overseas, we used to have a reputation of complaining incessantly, like, Ayo, there's too much sand on this beach. La. <laughs> Damn, my five euro Ray-Bans. Why do they look so fake? Ah, ah little known fact for you. Did you know the, the, the Finns also have another habit? After a sauna, they would dig a hole in the frozen lake and then they dip themselves in it to cool themselves down. And even when their penises shrink in the sub-zero ice cold water, they don't complain. I want to have, you know, such a little strong fin living inside me. So I summon all my sisu, and I managed to survive uh, three years of this hot and cold, crazy, <laughs> in the buffer parties. <laughs> now, if you ask me today, I think this hot and cold buff parties in your birthday suit, they're actually more fun than the booze and drinking parties we have so often. Because you don't need any illusions from drinking a lot of beer to suddenly find a guy mm, looking more handsome. <laughs> Somehow the handsome factor increases when uh, you have unbridled access uh, <laughs> visually uh, to a gentleman's uh, everything. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Oh, it turns out that my high school, all girls high school principal may be wrong. Uh, there are benefits to not covering up. <laughs> So, yeah, what, what started off as a very strange vacation three years ago uh, has changed my approach to life. I'm now more open-minded to 
new experiences, new challenges, uh, new saunas, and uh, new penises. <laughs> Thank you. If you are feeling more open-minded to new experiences, and let's be clear, we're only talking about storytelling here, do check out our weekly workshops, all held in a public place with everyone's clothes on. You can find more information at hongkongstories.com. Now, this piece is from the Liars League Hong Kong show Best and Brightest. This show was part of the Hong Kong Spoken Word Festival 2019 and was performed live at the Fringe Club. Written by Daniel Bird, this is The Next Life, with performance by Fraser McPhee. I opened my unique business in May 2068 after the 15th recession of the 21st century. My first ever client was a boy called Timmy. He had a hamster called Colin who had been acting strangely and gone off his food. Timmy's mum had brought him to see me so he could say goodbye to Colin. She signed the waivers and paid the fee and we went into the main room with a stainless steel table and syringe. I explained to Timmy that Colin had reached the end of his comfort and it was time for him to go to the big white place with an endless supply of nuts for him to feast on. I said that once I'd given Colin the special heaven medicine, his soul would lift through the ceiling and go to a land of feline-free, soft-soiled fun with a running wheel and sunflower seeds everywhere. Timmy accepted my words but was still sobbing when I plunged my needle in. A few moments later, I took the rodent's limp body through the back door. I am not a vet. The icon of a harp and a dog with wings on my business card tells you as much. My clients all have creatures whom they believe have reached the ends of their lives. I ask myself, why pay a vet 5,000 credits to diagnose the certainty you can see from the look of hopelessness in your faithful Labrador's eye? We know when the time has come. Besides, I'm excellent with the criers and sobbing parents. I have three dozen stories about the various animal afterlives. How pet dogs go to chew toy-filled rooms with juicy bones and can finally catch their tails. How pet cats spend eternity in front of radiators and never get fleas. It always calms them. They sign and pay the fee. I invented the serum I used before dropping out of medical school. I felt it would bring me more money than uh, 20-hour shifts in a hospital. In my surgery, each patient's representative signs a waiver detailing, among other things, that there is no going back and they can't sue me. If you pay, then the needle is going in. They say their fond farewells and the breathing stops and I take the loved one out the back door, the part they don't want to see. It takes an average six minutes, but the more emotional clients, about 15 after some weeks of practice, I could get a family of four sobbing over their 15-year-old Cocker Spaniel, paid up and in their car with an empty leash within 13 minutes flat. A fact I was proud of. Why? Because you can't drag these things out. Sometimes I have to go out and transfer the body to my vehicle. 
One day after loading an old donkey into my special white truck, I heard a knock. I turned around and saw a frail old woman tapping her window with a stick. She invited me in and explained that she was alone, sick, and could not walk. She said her time had come too. I slept on it and returned the next week with a new 27-page waiver and inheritance policy, which meant she left everything to me. She signed, gladly, having nobody else to leave her things to. I comforted her with a description of her heaven. A paradise with endless bingo games. Legs that could run a mile without arthritis kicking in and central heating that was free. She gave me a nod and my needle went in her bony arm. Somehow, news of my service spread quickly, and in a month I had seen to the processing of a dozen desperate, disillusioned elderly people. I had raised my income by 5,000% and immediately upgraded my surgery by buying the building connected to it. Now I could live and work in the same place and stay open 24-7. I received late-night calls too, I once drove to a warehouse at 3am to be met by a gang of tattooed men with a hostage in the back of the car wrapped in duct tape. He was struggling and shouting for help. I gave them a sceptical look and the uh, leader wordlessly handed me an envelope full of cash. Many times my normal fee. I handed over the new thick waiver and they made him sign whilst holding a photo of his wife and kid in front of his eyes. I plunged in the needle and tossed him into my van. The gang were obviously pleased, and uh, with my discretion, they received many more similar calls that month, and my profits grew tenfold. I invested in more property, a website with a downloadable waiver and application form, and a truck. After a year, I was able to reduce my fee in some special cases. At Christmas, children wrote to me with their wish lists. Boys would send their pocket money saying that their maths teacher's time had come. <laughs> Girls would complain about their friend of a friend who is a total bitch. I had to laugh, but I also had to oblige. I mean, they were customers willing to pay and sign the waiver. I decided to do the Christmas requests in one go and used my enormous new truck for the occasion. It was hard work with many struggles, but that night I ended up injecting four PE teachers, five uncles, 13 algebra lecturers, nine parking ticket attendants, two mums who had not bought their children the latest iPhone 15X, and uh, 12 pop stars. The next morning I turned on the news and, of course, saw my face. There was absolute horror at the massacre that had occurred across the city. A description of my van went out and many of the people whom had written to me were interviewed in tears, expressing how they had signed the waiver as a joke and it wasn't for real. I stirred my coffee and leaned back in my chair. I had enough money now for the best lawyers and more than enough for retirement. Soon there was a banging at my surgery door and a team of armed officers handcuffed me. The inspector strolled in and I was charged with multiple counts of murder. I nodded in agreement and gestured to the teetering stack of waivers on the counter. <laughs>
He shuffled through them in shock. Outside, the paparazzi surrounded me. I asked one photographer to take the key to the back door from my pocket, and they pushed past the police and stormed in, dying for the story. From out in the street, I heard their cries and saw flashing bulbs. Through the door and down the corridors of my enormous new complex were soundproofed cages, kennels, and locked rooms, each one revealing a happy living being in secure comfort at the success of my heaven serum. The elderly playing computerized bingo. Gang warfare hostages studying law for their future cases. And at the very back, Colin the hamster running in his wheels surrounded by sunflower seeds. Nobody reads the waiver properly. You see? Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was created and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.